Hey everyone, before we start on this episode, we wanted to let you know that you can watch our Catalog and Cocktails episodes live with us every Wednesday via Zoom. Check the link in our channel bio for more information, and we hope you join us in the discussion in real time. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to a slightly spookier and scarier version of your favorite weekly podcast, Cataloging Cocktails. I'm Tim Gasper, Director of Product over at Data.World, also a skeleton, and I'm joined here by Juan Cicada. Hello, I am Juan Cicada, and today as the dark data, drinking a red, bloody cocktail of all the stuff that we've seen uh, that has happened with data that scares the scares us a lot. <laughs> How are you doing, Tim? Happy Wednesday. I am doing pretty good. Happy Wednesday to you, too. Um, for everyone who's just joining us for the first time, Cataloging Cocktails is an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management. And uh, sometimes we have some guests, sometimes we just kind of hang out and talk ourselves, and sometimes we get dressed up and we act a little silly. It's, uh, it's that uh, scary time of year, and so we thought we'd get into the occasion. Yeah, and I guess we wanted today to talk a little about uh, data, continued conversations on data governance, on um, but this particular about agile data sprints and kind of on the holiday, on the holiday, the Halloween theme, add a little bit of the spookiness. But hey, how do we get out of that spookiness? Um, last couple of weeks we've been talking about data culture. Last week we actually had a great conversation about uh, marketplace, how your marketplace is really a catalog for internal and external data. Uh, we want to continue the conversations back on the idea of how do we actually implement more of these data cultures and do this in an agile way. I guess one of the things that always comes to mind is we all, everybody talks about agile. Yes, we need to be agile. I think everybody will agree that you want to be agile. The question is how? I think that's a lot of the conversations that are missing. This Today, we're going to go kind of share some of the stories about how we can do that. But I think far, in, in the spirit of Halloween, we should kind of start with some of the, 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 the non-stories, right? The, the spooky stories, the things that we see that have happened and are, that should not occur within the organizations. Yes, I think that's a, that's a great idea. And, uh, and, and just before you do that, I want to make sure I show off my, my drink as well here. I've got um, what's called a vampire's weakness. So, and I've got, uh, it looks kind of bloody, uh, and I've got some, uh, some bugs in there too, these uh, little cockroaches. We actually, we actually had uh, an event recently at uh, Data.World called Bug Squash, where we all just kind of got together and squashed a bunch of bugs. Uh, and part of that was a, a care package that had a bunch of bugs in it. And so I get to now enjoy them in my beverage. Well, I'm having a, a, a bloody gin and tonic. Uh, I actually got this really nice gin, a Japanese gin. I actually did not know. I'm a fan of the Japanese whiskey, but Ooh. we didn't know about the Japanese craft gin, Roku gin. So I'm really excited about this. If, uh, um, please, on the chat, share where you're coming from, uh, uh, what are you drinking, and, and, and also start share your, your, your scary stories of data. But you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off with a scary story, and then you can go with one. Um, Sounds good. I remember working with one customer before, and we were trying. This is the stuff that we always talk about. Like, oh, there is a, there's a bottleneck. There's a one person who knows everything, and, and nobody agrees on the answers. I get different answers for the same question. Well, one of these big questions was this daily sales report that was being sent 
to the seal executives, all, all the chief folks, every morning by eight o'clock in the morning, this, there needs to be this email in their inbox and it had to go the daily sales report. And what they had to go do, somebody had to manually go run this, run a query, generate, they get the Excel. There was some calculation happening. They were literally kind of copy and paste a couple of tables inside of an email and they place a spreadsheet and this was sent manually every day. And, and this is a, a large retail billion dollar company, Can't won't say names, but that's the process they go to. So the thing is that people were not really trusting these numbers. The executives were not trusting these numbers and the executives are every single day making decisions for this billion dollar company based on these emails that they're getting. So we come in to really understand what is going on with this uh, daily sales report. And the person who's doing all this stuff, right? They're kind of proud about everything, but they kind of know that they're like, I don't, they're not fully assured that they're doing everything right. But so they're that typical, they're being protective. They're scared that they, mm-hmm. they're scared that people will come in and, and, and figure out the mistakes that they've done. But at the same time, they're like, well, everybody comes to me. I'm very powerful, right? They have that job security and they don't want to go share their knowledge because that's a bad thing to go share because, Hey, they're going to take my job away. Right? So I get a ha- I, I get my hands on that query that they were running. And this was, I, I, I swear you not, this was like 11, 12 pages when I printed it out in text, just line by line. I mean, this was ridiculous, this, this query. Um, one, second, when you would execute the query, the query would execute in 10, 12, 13 minutes and would return just a, hand, a handful of rows of things. So it was doing all these aggregations and stuff. And, and I was like, who understands this query right now? And when you look at the database that, are, that they're connected to, uh, you're like, wait, this, is, this database is, has thousands of tables. Like, it's not really easy to, like, and there's no documentation about the databases, right? There's no catalog about anything. And so what I did, I literally spent one entire weekend. This was one, this is how you realize you're a geek. I'm a true geek and it was you reverse engineer this this query you come in and i just okay so here's a subquery let's take the subquery out this well they're this join this why are there like double negatives and joining against things true equals true i remember this i'll never forget they had this thing called true equals true on this and what the heck are you doing all these things and, and then you start diving into all these uh these subqueries and you realize they had all this amount of calculations, these big case statements with a bunch of math and basically, I mean, if statements of this, that, and then you start seeing a bunch of hard-coded numbers in there. And they're multiplying this value, this column with the value 0. 0.15, 0. 0.30, 0. and I'm like, why? What are they doing? So you keep working on this and you eventually start reverse engineer the entire query. And I realized, well, okay, there's, there's all these concepts that are embedded within this particular query. And then there's, for example, what is revenue? How are they calculating revenue? At some point you start creating what is the actual formula of how they're doing these things. So I go off after this weekend and I present what I learned. First of all, the person who kind of manned this query, they're freaked out because they, I basically realized that I kind of figured out the job that they were doing. And then I started to show how they were calculating the formulas. And immediately you would see the executives and the BI folks saying, what the heck is going on here? Because they were calculating, they were, they were, they had hard coded some discounts that was 
like two years ago. And they were still within this daily sales report. And at the end, they realized we've been making all these decisions for this billion dollar company based on this daily sales report that we have been running every single day manually. And it has hard-coded numbers that had discounts for a year ago, two years ago, and nobody had any idea. I mean, at that point, it's like, literally they're throwing money. Just imagine you have bills and they're just ripping it up and throwing it away. Um, Lighting money on fire, huh? <laughs> literally, they're setting money on fire. And, and this is just interesting that you really find all this amount of just ridiculous knowledge and past knowledge and bad knowledge embedded in queries. And then later on, you go find things in spreadsheets and stuff. But uh, anyways, that's my spooky story because you're literally throwing away millions of dollars because people were just didn't want to go share their knowledge. People were just afraid of actually spending the time to go understand that. And by the way, I mean, I spent just a weekend on that. If anybody could have done this, I mean, a good DBA would have sat down and done this, but nobody thought that was a priority. And if that happened in one sales report, imagine where else this is occurring within the organization. That's mine. How about that happens, you? That happens too often. It is scary, but probably too typical. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story, uh, a dark story. I'll, I'll call it um, uh, a story about the dark, foggy forest of who the hell knows where the data is. Um, and so uh, I uh, was working at a consulting company uh, probably five, six years ago, a very large consulting company. And um, a lot of the different parts of that company were built up by acquisitions. I think uh, for those of us here in the audience that may work in companies that have experienced many mergers or acquisitions, you probably know the kind of data terror you may get yourself into. Um, and uh, our company uh, got acquired by this much larger company. And uh, we asked a very simple question uh, in order to try to build business, which was, what are all your customers that you have today and what products did they buy? Uh, thinking that that would probably be a very simple question to answer. And you know what? They do their taxes every year. Uh, they, uh, they, they have a way of rolling up this information somehow to report to the, uh, the, the shareholders. But if an internal person within the company asks this question, all of a sudden, you have to go to 15 different people who are rerouting you to the next person, to the next person. Oh, I, I only see this incomplete picture. You know, you got to talk to Sally. Sally's on vacation for two weeks. She gets back from vacation and she says, oh, well, you know, I just get these three spreadsheets and uh, I don't actually get to see the data. It actually is in this BI tool over here and sends you to this other place. Uh, it took us six months to get access to the data. Um, and it was uh, full of duplicates. Um, and we ended up having to analyze it for another couple of weeks to be able to essentially generate leads to go after. And at that point, we had already been in the company, a part of the larger company for, for seven months. Um, and so that's just an example of a very typical uh, scary situation of when you don't know where your data is, you don't know how to find it, and getting access to it isn't clear cut. For sure. I mean, and, and actually, uh, Misty is on the chat here. She's saying something. Uh, sales reports frequently are deadly and salespeople don't like to fix them because it changes all the numbers in a way that they need to explain to others. Much easier not to explain sometimes and keep the bad processes. So true. I mean, this is one of the big problems that we see all the time. And by the way, for folks who are listening to us on the podcast, always you can join us live and be part of the conversation uh, uh, on the chat. And then later on, we open up for discussion. So Quick parentheses there. All right, so let's talk 
positive here now. I mean, so one of the so one of the things that we've talked about before on the data cultures is how can we be agile? And we talked about agile data governance and how we want to avoid boiling the ocean. So how do we start? So you kick us off here, Tim. How how do we start these data sprints? That's a great question. I, I think the the first thing that is important to do is kind of define what the goal is. Like, why, why are we even talking about this concept such as, uh, you know, agile data sprints in the concept, uh, in the context of data governance? And I, I think the reason why we're doing that and, and what we've seen be successful in, in a lot of different companies, including the ones we work with, is uh, taking a lot of inspiration from the agile software world, right? So in the agile software world, you have uh, typically these days the concept of, of being agile and taking um, either an iterative or a sprint-based approach, which is just a sort of a time-bound iteration. Um, and usually the goal of these sprints, when you get to the end of a sprint in software development, is to get to some kind of working software. Right? You want to actually create something that is going to be used. Now, it might be the stupidest little thing ever. Right? Let's say you're doing a two-week sprint, and at the end of it, it's just, uh, oh, I can uh, go to a web page, and it says, hello, world. Right? That is a piece of working software. Right? You got to something that you can interact with in some way. Um, and I think that's the kind of concept that we're seeing work really well, because data governance, it is so easy to boil the ocean. And, and the way that you don't boil the ocean and say, hey, let me write the biggest product spec ever and let me fulfill it over the course of the next five years is you take an iterative approach. And so the first thing I wanna bring up as a goal of that is this concept of working insights. The idea that when you're working through an iteration of data governance, the goal of data governance isn't to just lock everything down or just make everything secure. The point of data governance is to make it so that people, the right people in the right ways can work with data and do it quickly. And so that's the first concept we'll put out there. Working insights as the goal of an agile data sprint. I think another thing I would want to add there is in addition to having just working insights, so is that let's avoid perfection. I think this is something that we kind of always consider is like, oh, we need, I'm not going to go share this to people until it's ready. It's like, it's never going to be ready. In software, we do this all the time. The software is never going to be ready. Yes, we're going to go ship things. It's going to lack a feature. Yes, there may be bugs in there, but we got to go ship, right? You don't have your, your sort of your MVP. So avoid perfections. And when you start doing this, what you're, when you start releasing things, you have these quick wins. And I think this is part of the culture is it's okay if we're not going to be perfect. It's actually what we should do is that we should strive to not be perfect. And we want to have these quick wins. Uh, so I, I really want to go on. Well, let's, let's unpack for a second the quick wins. But before we get there, the other thing that we talked about are the people. So let's talk about the, the, the team. Who needs to be involved on a data sprint? That's a good question. I think first we have to ask some, some higher level questions, right? Which is, first of all, you know, who is responsible? Who is responsible for making sure that people can get access to data that they need, that it's understandable, and that are driving this sort of program towards working insights, right? I think in some of our past sessions, we've, we've talked about some of those folks who may be responsible, right? Folks like data stewards, folks like uh, data product managers, which is a little bit of a new concept that we think um, is really powerful and one companies should consider. Um, who else uh, are, are you thinking of in mind, Juan? So, so, so for sure, you want to have, I think the data product manager is one of those things that, that we're talking a lot. And actually, 
um, I'm on some Slack channel, uh, some Slack community, and somebody shared this job position about a product data, a data product manager. And in the Slack community, I shared the one of the blog posts I read about the data product manager, and this and one of the uh, somebody else responded saying, "This is brilliant. This is exactly who I am because I am." a data engineer, I'm a data scientist, and I actually feel ownership for the data. Um, and, and, and when I try to explain this to people, like I don't fit in a role, I don't, I, 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 I'm not a data engineer, I'm not a data scientist, I'm somewhere in the middle. So I think this is, people are starting to go realize this and I'm really, really excited to see companies, all small to big companies, thinking about this data product management role in there. So that's definitely one. Um, and then you, you, I think part of it, you also need to have identify who are your key pro data producers and your data consumers, meaning who are the key data engineers that you want to be involved? Who are the key data scientists or, or BI developers? Because they're the folks who are actually going to get the work done in the sense that um, I, you need to go find this data, find the, the data from the source to go create it. And then here's the data, go test it, go use it, right? They need to be part of that. It's the same time when you, when you have in software is like, who's going to be writing code? Who's actually going to be testing that stuff? So, um, so, so uh, actually I'm seeing here the chat, Joanna is, uh, is joining us from Baker Hughes and she said that she, they've also coined the same data product management. Uh, I, I'm loving this. You see, this is completely serendipitous. This is so cool. So I think that's it. Now, the other, the other aspect of the tool of, of the team is who has the skin in the game? And, and something that let's, let's be honest, a lot of people have opinions. Everybody has opinions, but if you're gonna be part of this team, like you really need to have the skin in the game, and if you just if you're just gonna bring in bring in an opinion, fine, leave it at the door. Who's gonna be here? Put the skin in the game, and who's gonna be responsible for that? And that's a, something I ask everybody. You go ask who's responsible for your software. You have an answer. Who's responsible for your data? Not everybody has an answer for that. I think that's a really good comment, and I think that it actually brings us to um, an interesting sort of observation I think about most companies that are trying to implement governance programs is that, um, you know, at least in the case of uh, like software development, you do have established people who are, you know, the coders that are on that particular team, right? And they're the ones that are developing that software. Um, in, you know, the governance context, it isn't always as clear you know, that somebody is directly assigned to a given project. And I think that's where the skin in the game becomes really important. Because if you know that there's a certain use case that you're targeting, if you know that you can get to working insights for that, if you know it's going to create business value, then the folks who directly benefit from that business value, the folks that directly create that business value, even if they're not directly reporting into you as a data steward or a data catalog program manager or a data uh, product manager, if you're starting to experiment with that role, um, you know, uh, you want to have folks involved that are going to drive towards that goal. And so um, these people are essentially your, they're your sprint pod, right? They're the folks that are going to help you code up. They're going to help you develop these data products for your organization to consume. Agreed, agreed. So I, I want to go on, let's unpack this quick win because it's, it's more than just these two words. So when I think about quick, Obviously, that means that we want to do something small. We want to do something fast, mm -hmm. right? So, that, but by definition. But I also think we want to go, it's something that should be small. If something is going to be fast and quick, that means that it should be something small, right? Like I, I, I can run 100 meters quicker than if I could run a, 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 a whole kilometer, a whole mile. So let's do something small, which means that if it's small, it should be tightly scoped. 
Mm-hmm. So for me, when we're talking about quick, it's you want it, by definition, it's fast. If it's fast, it must be small. And if it's small, it means it must be tightly scoped. So that's what I mean by quick. Mm-hmm. How about win? So for win, I think that's when you pair up the quick, which, you know, if it's too small or, or unimpactful, it's not going to have enough of a, of a benefit, right? You're not, everyone's going to be like, oh, okay, cool. That was kind of lame, right? Um, the win aspect is it has to be impactful, right? It has to have an impact on the business, whether that's cost, whether it's top line, whether it's bottom line, whether it's differentiation, it's got to be impactful. It has to create business value, which is tightly coupled to being impactful, right? And, and being able to measure that value, uh, right? It can't be um, too fuzzy or it's going to be too bit difficult to know that you've achieved it. Um, and it needs to be commensurate to the amount that you invested, right? And this is the ROI aspect of a win. The fact that you're investing time, people, energy, resources, technology to this effort um, you know, uh, you always hear people say low hanging fruit. And that always means, you know, that, you know, small effort in big bang out. Um, you know, that, that's an example of a, of a powerful win. So with that quick and win, let's go into the actual agile part. Let's, 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 so we're going to kick this off. And I think part of the agile is you want to go iterate. And so there's this whole loop that you see is that you, you want to be able to go build something. But then you also want to know that how, how do I know that what I built was actually useful? So it means that you want to be able to go measure that. That means that you really need to understand have some baselines, have clear what is working and, and, and measure against that. And once you measure, you go analyze what you, what you, what you observe, what you measured, and you're, and you're to learn from that saying, shoot, we, we were trying to accomplish this thing and we didn't get there. We got to go back and figure out and go, or this was perfect. We're doing it well, or, Hey, we can actually do better. Like we're doing good. But we can do better. So I think there's this, there, this, what I'm calling this build measure, learn loop around there. That's what I think is going on. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I think, you know, build measure learn. That's, that's a, that's a really good thing because I think that that's a phrase that gets used often in the context of like entrepreneurship and building out new products. And like, how do you, you know, put something out there actually get feedback because feedback is what you need in order to do things well, do things right and improve it and do things quickly. And then the, the goal is not to build the whole thing. It's to build something, see if it's working. If it's not, then you need to reevaluate. If it is working, then you need to double down. Um, that's like that sort of flywheel that you want to get going. So and, I like that a lot. And, and I think another, another aspect that this really hits home here as a, uh, People who don't know me, I, I, I always say I carry my, my two hats, my, my academic scientific hat. I am a scientist by heart, and I also carry my, in, in my engineering business hat on. And if I put my scientific hat on. But also your dark hat. And my dark hat, too. Here. Your third hat. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sorry, go Peer ahead. Reviewing. Peer reviewing. So I always say science is a social process. And it's because, as cliche as it sounds, we advance knowledge of mankind because I'm able to convince my peers of what I learned, right? If you look at the scientific method, we always have, you make observations of the real world based on the observations, you define a theory, you come up with, you define a hypothesis and then you need to find evidence to support that hypothesis and you do experiments and the experiments are, you're, you're convinced of this. And at some point when you're convinced, you need to convince your other peers and your peers will be critical about it. And you need to go and that you need to try to convince them. 
And once they're convinced, more of your peers get convinced, and then this becomes just new knowledge. This is the same approach that we should apply to data. And get, by the way, we apply this to software all the time, right? You write code. I mean, yes, if you're working by yourself, you push that to master and you're done. But if you're working a team, like nobody's going to go say, yeah, just go push that into master. We'll have testing, but people have code reviews. Right? You'll have a pull request. People need. People will look at your code. We do pair programming for God's sake, right? So, you want to be able to have this type of, of of peer review approach within the data you're doing. So let's go see the data. Let's go. What is the process to go generate that data? Who's actually testing the data that's coming out? How are we actually documenting it, right? Even when we use things like GitHub, like there is literally a peer a, 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 a pull request that people can make comments about it and stuff like that. This needs to be applied also in your agile data streams, having peer review. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I like to comment about testing. And that actually reminds me a little bit or relates a little bit to a comment that I see here uh, where Mike mentioned that, you know, uh, when you're really trying to figure out the right level of governance and sort of quality to include in your governance efforts and, and kind of creating these governance sprints, uh, that you have to make sure that uh, consumers of a report know what level of trust is appropriate for that particular set of data. Uh, and I think that's important because if we liken it back to sort of the software analogy, right, you've got uh, a lot of thoughts and methodology and principles around testing and around, you know, different parts of the software, depending on how sensitive the data is, depending on how brittle it could be, depending on who's involved. Is this customer facing? Is it just internal facing? That dictates and changes the kind of testing that you might need to apply and the kind of principles and standards that you might need to apply. Uh, and I think that kind of thinking works really well here too, because you think about, you know, hey, I'm rolling out a particular data product in my organization. Who should be involved? What types of, of reviews should be involved? What types of testing? How, how comprehensive does that testing need to be? How end-to-end -end does it need to be? Those types of principles are kind of like the new governance principles, right? This is sort of like governance principles 2.0 is like having that framework and that foundation to say, oh, this is you know, highly sensitive data. It involves these people. It's for this very critical use case. There's a higher bar for that. Hey, you know what? This is just, you know, I need to get a simple uh, uh, piece of information, you know, some definitions to this other group. Let's, you know, we can really crank that out in a few days. You know, that kind of framework, I think, helps a lot. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 the, and the analogy I always love is like, why do you have brakes in your car? It's not to go slower. It's to be able to go drive fast, safely. And that's what we need to think about governance. Now, so we, we, we talked about having the, the people, right? Making sure we have working insights, who's a team, having these quick wins. We'll, we'll define what quick means are. And let's, let's go iterate and have this peer review. Um, now, something that I think may not seem obvious is that every when we talk about this whole process of a data sprint, we're actually thinking about the data set. Like I'm actually thinking, okay, here's a table with columns and all these rows. But honestly, this entire process that we're talking about should st first start to be applied for your metadata. So when you think about it, if I don't even know what data I have, right? I want to know what should I be, uh, what is the metadata asset actually? What do, do I need to go bring in all the tables of my database? Do I need to, I, I'm using an SAP system that has 20,000 tables. Do I really need to go catalog the 20,000 tables for that? What are, what, what are the actual 
kind of the, the, the meta information I'm trying to go capture around this, right? I need to know if this data is sensitive, if this data has PII. I need to go, I, I need to go track quality metrics. Which quality metrics need to go apply? These are the types of questions that you need to be asking before actually generating any data sets from that. So this whole process of this agile data sprints, it's in reality, it should be agile metadata and data sprints. And I think that's something that we really need to consider because honestly, we we think about metadata more from like, oh, that's that governance data store thing. But like, no, we need to capture the metadata clear up front, kind of that crawling approach. And then we're gonna, once we know what data we have, we're gonna go into this walking approach and we're gonna like start accessing the data. So the whole agile data sprint, let's call it agile sprint should be applied to metadata and data. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think that, you know, if we can have a single framework and process that works for both the data and the metadata sides of your business, then that allows you to not have these be sort of two like mirror worlds, like some kind of a, uh, to go back to our theme today, some kind of a weird, bizarro, scary future where you've got like, you know, metadata land on one side and data land on the other. And the two maybe don't always go together, right? There's this divide in between. Um, we want, you want to avoid that. And I, and I think that when you think in a metadata frame of mind too, then that means that you can have some quick wins that might be as simple as I'm looking for sales data for the West region, go talk to Sam, right? And that might be 1.0 right there. You've got some working, working insights right there. The working insight is, is when I'm looking for sales data and I'm looking for the West region, I go talk to Sam and you've achieved some, some value and some clarity and some, and some um, ability to be more effective and efficient in your organization. Yeah, and I love what Shane is saying here in the chat. A data catalog should be for metadata as Git is for code. Completely agree. Love that. Hey, as always, 30 minutes fly by, Tim. Let's wrap up. What are our takeaways today? Good question. I would say my biggest takeaway is uh, this concept of quick wins. The idea that you can go in and if you organize around this concept of an agile sprint, you can really think of, hey, what is some incremental business value that I can create, whether it's on the data side or it's on the metadata side for my company? Uh, and let's just, let's get a win and then let's get another win and let's get another win and let's iterate our way to, to, to great value in our company. And my takeaway is, this whole notion of working insights, right? Let's, you don't have to be perfect. Let's get something out there that people can start using and that will, that will increase. So if people are expecting, oh, I need a, a this data set needs to, I mean, the data set that I need is gonna have 50 columns. Well, start with something that has three columns and then you're gonna add it to do this incrementally. So have these working insights. You need the right team. The data product manager is gonna be key. This is gonna evolve. I am really betting on this and people are starting to go see this. Um, Always ask yourself who is responsible for your data. Finally, the peer review. We need to have peer review within our data practices. And it's for metadata and data. Couldn't agree more. It's always a pleasure, Juan. And uh, as always, everyone come join us on Wednesdays. We do these every Wednesday. And uh, please have a very uh, happy Halloween. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>